Um, so welcome everybody, it's good to have you out here. Um, raise your hand if you weren't here last time I was gonna speak. Ooh, good a number of people. So I'll do a little bit of some review. Do you, are they, can they watch it online? Have any of you watched what I did online? Some of you have, it's a good, good number of you have. It's a, it's a good uh, kind of a foundation of where we're going. Um, part of what's unique, and, and this goes back to my experience as a pastor of discipleship, where I, you know, I really, um, as I tried, you know, the, the, the uh, purpose of the job description, rather, of a pastor of discipleship is to help people change and conform into the image of Jesus so that we're more and more like Jesus, right? And as I did that, I kept running up in a wall against, against the wall of the word, and that word is called sometimes. Where the usual Christian practices and prescriptions we use for how we change work really well sometimes, and they seem to not work at all other times. I kept running into that with myself and also with the people I was helping in our church. Or the, the usual Christian things we do work really well for certain kinds of problems. Other kinds of problems, they don't seem to touch those problems. And, uh, and we look at Jesus, and he's meeting people with all sorts of problems, different kinds of problems, and he does all sorts of different kinds of things, actually things outside the box of what we normally think we would do. And uh, so that's what got me confused. Basically, the other half of church, I didn't have a copy. I like having a copy with me. Um, this book was really written more out of frustration, trying to help people in our church grow, and it just seemed to work sometimes. And I'm not saying it never works. And that's really what... Um, God used to bring me across Jim Wilder and I could kind of vomit my questions and frustrations on him and he's the one who said, Michael, I think it would really be helpful to you if you understood a little bit about how God designed the human brain to, to form character and to mature us. Those two things. Maturity and character are not the same, but they're both essential parts of our discipleship if we want to be more like Jesus. The ultimate goal of discipleship is love. To love like Jesus loves. That's it. Everything we do is pointed towards love. Every commandment God gave is pointed towards love. Um, everything Jesus taught us has love as its undergirding. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians, if we forget the love part of it, everything else becomes meaningless. Even really good stuff. Super self-sacrifice, uh, great giftedness, great teacher with lots of really good words. Paul says it's all utterly worthless without love. Love is not all we do, but it's the foundation of everything we do, and we need to love, learn how to love like Jesus loves. That's really the, the, the fundamental purpose of the church, to teach people how to love like Jesus loves, to love like the kingdom of heaven loves. Okay, It's really kind of a heaven on earth. And so that's kind of a short synopsis of where we went last time we were together. Um, what I'd like to do, um, we talked about the importance of joy. Okay, who can remember what the, according to the brain and the Bible, what's the definition of joy? Does anybody remember? Is there a brave soul that's going to hazard Gina Lincoln? <laughs> joy is what I, according to the neuroscience, joy is what I feel in my body when I can tell from your face and your eyes that you're, you're glad to be with me. Or that I'm special. And it's nonverbal. It's not, not, not primarily words that builds joy. You can see it in a face glowing. 
And then when you read through the Bible, it talks about God's face shining on us all over the place, even in the New Testament, but many, many times in the Old Testament. You know, number six, may, may, it says that may God's face shine upon you. That's like the literal neuroscience definition of joy that the Dr. Alan Shore in UCLA came up with. It's, like, it's almost like we should expect this, of course, if the designer of the human brain and also the inspirer of scripture, that should agree, right? And it very, very much does, okay? Joy is really the starting place of any kind of character change and maturity. If joy is low, if we have very few glad-to-be-with-you faces in our lives, our joy tank, it functions like a gas tank, it gets low, not much of anything works, even really good things, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, Bible studies, going to church, praying, worship. When joy is low, our brain is in a state that it's just kind of stuck. So one of the biggest things I learned uh, after studying the, the brain and meeting Jim Wilder is that in any kind of discipleship or basically anything we do that's designed to change us in some way, we have to start by raising some joy. And as a pastor of discipleship, I didn't do that. I didn't know that, okay? So here's what we're gonna do. We're going to, and we also talked about quiet, how joy and quiet are kind of the keys, learning how to quiet ourselves and learning how to build joy with each other. That's what's called secure love, secure attachment. A secure loving attachment is that I'm looking to connect with you, but I'm also very sensitive when you might need some rest or some space. And we need to be sensitive to both. If I never notice that you want to connect with me and I'm just like, then I'm like this distant person who doesn't want to connect. We've all been to those groups where you go in and it just doesn't seem like anybody wants to connect with me. And those kind of groups I kind of want to leave, right? On the other hand, you've been to places where people are in you, they're talking to you and you're kind of getting tired and they keep on going and you just kind of want to break a little bit, right? Well, secure love is very um, careful to monitor both people's need to connect and my need to connect and other people's need to rest and to have some space and my need sometimes to rest and to have some space. And we're all looking for this and we're working, it's kind of like a dance, right? Maybe you wanna connect but I'm really tired and we have to do a little bit of a dance. Um, but God's that, very much that same way with me. We see Jesus letting his disciples rest and we see Jesus connecting with people in very, very powerful ways. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna start with a little bit of that. Um, so why don't you kind of move into groups of three, four, five people, and we're going we're gonna to do, we're going to all together do some quieting, and then we're going to do some gratitude. We're going to do a circle of gratitude in, in, a, in some small groups. Three to five-ish. Feel free to jump the pews. I see people jumping the pews. That's good. That means you're into this. Okay, we're going to start by quieting. Now, I taught you three or four quieting skills last time, but let's do the simplest one, which is just a really, really deep breath in, maybe five seconds, really, really deep breath out, six or seven seconds, okay? Let's all do it together. And then let's just sit in silence for a moment.
Now take another really deep breath in and then out. How are you feeling Jesus' presence through the Holy Spirit right now? He may seem real close. He may seem far away. He may feel like he's above you or below you, speaking to you or just smiling. Ask Jesus, Jesus, how do you want me to sense you right now? Father, thank you that you have given us this task to bring people and teach people how to live in your kingdom on earth, like we saw your son do perfectly, and that we try to do, we do it imperfectly, but help us grow in that. Specifically, help us grow to be fearless people who love like Jesus loves. That seems like a tall task, um, but we ask that your Holy Spirit would empower us, would, it, would direct us, motivate us, surround us, fill us with your love. May we be very filled with your love so that we have a lot of overflow for those around us. But also help us do the work we need to do to train our, ourselves to love the way that we see Jesus loving and feel him loving even today. We pray this in his name. Amen. Okay. You can go to the uh, next slide, this one, that one, okay? So one of the things, if you're reading the other half of church, is the importance of group identity. Group identity is, is our identity. We have an individual identity, but our brain actually even has a place for group identity, which is who are we as a people? How do my people act in this situation or that situation? And it's very much a very strong transforming act, uh, concept of our brain. Our brain scans six times a second in, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, at work, driving, with kids, in school, me being in front of a bunch of people talking, my brain is scanning, what is it like our people to do here? What does it look like us to act here? Okay? So one of the things we like to do is then is, is repeat group identity to each other. So let's all read this group identity statement to each other. Can you see it well enough to read? Okay, why don't you read along with me? We are a people who clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And when we forget, we ask our community to help clothe us again. And so this is what we're gonna be studying today. So we've just, at, we've just given our brain some, like a file. When you do this, it gives your brain a file and your brain goes, oh, that's how we act in situations. We act with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And when we stopped acting like that, we've, for, we've forgotten who we are. Because that's who we are. It's not what we do, it's who we are. Okay? So now in your groups, I'd like you to do a round of appreciation. So just go around in your group and have each person share something uh, they appreciate or, or are thankful for just in the last couple weeks or maybe in the last weekend. 
And then that what, it actually is a very, very, puts our brain in a very healthy space for anything else we do later. So I'll give you about five minutes. Just go around the group and share something you're grateful for or that you're appreciating right now. Okay. So joy functions as a gas tank. One of the ways we fill up our gas tank is through joyful facial interactions with people. Uh, that presupposes we, we're not always like this with our phone, with our kids, that we give our kids our, our faces. Not in a weird, awkward staring contest, a lot of times it's just like three seconds, but just let someone know, look them in the eyes, let them know you're happy to be there with them, and then say something if you want as well. But it's amazingly powerful what you feel when someone's face lights up and when their eyes twinkle or sparkle in a way that says, you're special to me. Our brain is looking for that one thing more than any other thing. God designed our brains to scan faster than conscious speeds, scan our environments for that. Another way we build joy is what you just did, is through, through practices of gratitude and appreciation. And so I just gave you one here. We mentioned one last time where we actually uh, create a list of gratitude memories and then start reliving those memories and maintaining a state of gratitude for five minutes, work up to five minutes. That's really healthy. My wife and I do a three-by-three three gratitude where we go back and forth one-on-one, -on -one, but we do three gratitudes for the day, our day, three gratitudes for each other, something we appreciate about each other, and then three things we appreciate about God that he's been teaching us or showing us or that we've just been feeling from him, his encouragement, etc. cetera. We, we go on hikes probably four or five times a week, and during our hike, we always start into our three by three. And you can invent some of your own. Use your imagination, but just start to bring gratitude. With kids, it's very, very easy, even at work. My wife's a high school Spanish teacher and she starts every day with gratitude. It goes around the class and everyone tells something they, they appreciate. When it's someone's birthday, everyone goes around the class and tells the birthday person what they appreciate or what they're grateful for about that person. So use your creative juices, get your joy tanks to fill. Uh, it's actually the precursor and also learning how to quiet ourselves. Do some deep breathing. And uh, what we do today will help you notice when you need to breathe, when you need to quiet yourself. That's what we're gonna talk about today. Um, so again, let's repeat our group identity statement because this is kind of where we're going, okay? Let's say it again. We are people who clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And when we forget, we ask our community to help clothe us again. Okay. This presupposes when we forget who we are, we need a community. We need, we need our Father, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we also need a community. Those two together. God actually designed our brains to need him and a people, which is why he doesn't tell us just to go off in, in wilderness and walk with him until the day we die. He says, gather yourselves together. We need him and we need each other. Okay, next slide. 
So for those of you who weren't here last time, this is, this is a quick um, des, uh, example of how God designed our brains. This is what Jim Wilder explained to me, so I'll, I'll go through it with you real quick since there were so many people who weren't here last time. But any way you can sense your environment, think of all the ways you can sense it. Your sight does a lot. You know, joyful interactions are us sensing someone's face shining on us. But smell and taste and touch and any other things we can, we can pick up they all end up entering into our brain in the back right side, and they move forward from the back to the front on the right side, and then all this data, all these experiences, everything we're sensing crosses over to our, between, from our right eye to our left eye, and then goes from the front to the back on the left side. And we really kind of have two brains that are tightly coupled. The right brain really is our relational brain, and the left brain is our rational brain. God designed them to work together, but they also, they're very different as well. The control process is very, it focuses on different things. The right brain focuses on things like our identity. So that identity statement we just repeated to each other, that's really getting your right, a part of your right brain. There's a, a, a place in your right brain that's dedicated to our group, really focused on building our group identity and looking for group identity. When we remind each other who we are, what does it look like to be a people living in God's kingdom on this crazy earth in specific situations and we remind each other? We're giving files to a part of our brain that says that will pull that faster than conscious speed and say, oh, that's what it looks like for us. That's what I do here. Sometimes we don't, we don't have a well-built-up group identity. We'll get into situations and we'll be like deer in the headlights. It's like file not found, Right? This is why it's so important for us to build up our group identity around very specific things. This is what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. He's very much building group identity. What's it look like us to live in the world, but live in God's kingdom in the world, in this world? So the right brain does things like identity and, and joy, returning to joy. Uh, what's called mutual mind, which, a lot, which us, we, our brain has the ability to actually share minds. This is pretty weird. We haven't talked about this yet. We're going to get this in the spring semester. The brain has the ability to share minds so we can think each other's thoughts. Now, is that weird or what? First time I heard of that, I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? This sounds like, you know, some science fiction thing. Um, but our brain has this. There's a banana-shaped part of the brain on our right side of our brain that helps us link minds to each other and think each other's thoughts, and we believe we can do the same with God. God shares his mind with us. As, as Paul taught, we have the mind of Christ. And we can learn to sense his thoughts and think his thoughts. And also how to find out when we're, whether we're actually doing that or we're just making up ourselves, right? Um, attunement. Attunement is a very, very important word. Attunement means I can tell what's going on inside of you without you telling me. It's also very nonverbal. You come up to me, I can see something on your face, and I'm like, are you okay? Or maybe your face is saying something differently, and I said, ooh, you look like you're doing well. What's going on? Tell me. But it's very important for us to notice the, what's going on inside of each other. Not just what they, people tell us, but also what's, coming, what's going on inside, especially with our children. When they come home from school and their face is just like this, and to go up to your kid, look them in the face, and say, I can tell you're not doing well. I'm so sorry you're not doing well. Um, if you'd like to share that with me, that's fine. And if, not, if you need some space, that's fine too. I just want you to know that I'm, I'm with you on this. Attunement. Assessment is just, is this, am I good, in a good space? Is this scary? Is there something bad here? Our brain knows that very, very much faster than we can talk about it or think about it. 
We know instantly. It's instant knowledge. Have you ever walked into a place and you just thought, there's something weird going on here, right? But you don't know what. That's a part of your right brain that's faster than our conscious brain. Our left brain's more conscious. Our right brain's very fast. And we know things instantly. And then attachment. Attachments are the strongest driver of our character. Love, according to the way God designed the brain, really functions as an attachment. Like we get attached to people. They become our people. And we're bonded for life. Churches were meant to be a high ta- attachment. This is the hesed, but if you read the other half of church, it's talking about high, high attachment. When I'm attached to you, then you can actually change my character. If we don't have a strong attachment, you're, you can tell me things that are good, or you can even give me good advice, you can attune, me, but, attune to me, but my brain will largely dismiss you. So we need to be attached to each other. So the right brain, again, is our relational brain. Left brain is our rational brain. And it's conscious thought, uh, explanations of things, words, strategies, and logic, and stories. And our brain works best when our left brain and our right brains are working well together, integrated. Okay? Well, a funny thing about our right brain is it can also kind of work like a circuit breaker. Our relational brain, that is. Um, we, call our right, we can kind of call our right brain our relational, it's our relational brain, it's our relational circuits, you know, we call it that sometimes. And when motion, emotions get high or intensity is high or when we're really tired or for other reasons, our relational brain can get overloaded just kind of like a circuit breaker and go off or, go, or at least dim. I don't know about you, but in our kitchen, if my wife's using the blender and I use the toaster oven and then someone turns the microwave off or on, it goes and we lose electricity in our kitchen because we've overloaded the circuit, right? So our relational brain can be kind of like that and our relational brain kind of goes down or gets wobbly. It's not so much like a light switch that's just all the way off. It's, it can start going down and dim or it can go, also go all the way off, Okay. And when these relational circuits go off, people very quickly, we go non-relational, people become more like problems to solve, right? Or annoyances to avoid, or enemies to be defeated. We've all seen that, and we've all been in that state, if we're honest with each other. Because our relational brain has gone off. Um, We call this... um, Enemy mode, you know, when our relational circuits go off, we very quickly get into a mode that we call enemy mode because people start seeming like enemies, even though they may not truly be enemies. My wife sometimes feels like an enemy to me. She's not an enemy, but she feels like one because my, my relational brain has gone down, okay? Um, it's impossible for us not to go into enemy mode because these things happen really fast. What we want to train you is how to notice when this happens and how to get our relational brain back up as quickly as possible. Okay? It's very, very important to learn what it feels like when our relational brain and our relational circuits go off. And what does it feel like when they're on and running well? And you cannot directly tell. We can't monitor it like it can monitor heat. Um, we have to monitor it indirectly, okay? A lot of times we feel it in our bodies. You will feel, when your relational circuits go off, you'll feel something in your body, and you also find yourself during certain things, acting in certain ways, 
that you'll go, if you've been trained, and that's what we're going to do today, you'll go, ooh, I think my relational brain's going wobbly on me. If you're in an argument with your spouse or with a friend or with your kids or with someone at work and you start feeling this, it's very wise to go, hey, let's take a break and uh, just so we can kind of calm down and let's talk about this a little bit later. Trying to resolve or doing a, a relational problem or doing anything that's relational taxing with our relational circuits off is kind of like trying to see with your eyes closed. So it makes no sense. It's not going to end well. Plowing through is just going to assure that you keep going deeper into enemy mode, and it's usually not going to be a good thing, okay? And so what we did is we created a checklist, because you might be wondering, well, how do I know if these things have happened to me? I don't know. You, some of you know, but some of you may need some help with this. So we created a checklist. Have you been handed this, or do we need to hand these out? Uh, Ash is going to hand out. We made you a nice checklist that you can use for these enemy modes. And so it helps you kind of, when you're first learning this, find out if you're going in, if your relation circuits are going off and you're going into an enemy mode, okay? We're going to go through each of these together, check by check, because there's some comments I want to make. And this can be very eye-opening, but in a very, very good and important way. We see Jesus, and we never see, I'd have no evidence anywhere that Jesus ever went into enemy mode. Even though he was angry at times. He was relational and angry. Okay? So does everybody have one? A few more. Look at the, uh, the relational circuits checklist. And the top one, which is simple enemy mode, Okay? Everybody good? Okay, go to where it says simple enemy mode. It's the top one. This is your relationship circuits. Your relational brain has gone down, okay? They've gone off. Here's some questions to ask, and if you say yes to any of these, it means your, your relational brain's not doing very well. I just want to make a problem, person, or feeling go away. So it's more about getting rid of the problem. I don't want to listen to what others feel or say. You know what that is? We talked about the importance of attunement. It means I don't want to attune to you. I don't really care what you're feeling right now or what you're saying right now. I just want to, I get to a point where I just want to win or I want to run away from you. But I don't want, I'm not curious about you. My mind is locked onto something upsetting. Anybody, anybody here not ever been in that state? Right? We've all been there where you just, this thing happens, someone said something to you or something happened and you just cannot, you know, at night, heads on the pillow and you're just going, why did they say that? What are they thinking? You know, going around, and we just, we're locked into it. It means your relational circuits are, are probably off. I don't want to be connected to blank, which is a person I usually like. So they, they're feeling like an enemy, right? Even though I really love them. This is going to happen with your children, it's going to happen with your friends, with your spouses, with your people you work with. It's very, very good to be able to start noticing that, okay? Next one, I just want to get away or fight or freeze. This is a signal coming out of your amygdala. It basically tells you, you know, fight or freeze or run away, okay? And so when you find yourself freezing or you find yourself actually want to almost get aggressive, that is a sign. Instead of just 
reacting to these things, you can say, you know, ooh, that's a sign that my brain is not doing well and I'm, not, I'm going non-relational right now. So I need to do something else other than follow these impulses. And then the last one, I more aggressively interrogate, judge, and what's that last thing? Fix others. We Christians are really good at fixing people. And it shows that our relational brain is not working. We have no desire to fix a person when we're relational. Unless they ask us for help. Right? Usually when we're fixing someone, nine times out of a ten, that person's making me nervous and so I'm trying to fix them to get rid of my own fear. Usually that's a problem with me. It's not a problem with them. Does anybody like it when someone tries to fix you? None of us like it. Right? So when we start... Thinking, even in my mind, I'll start thinking, oh, that they just do this. I need to tell them what they do. And I, you know, before, I wouldn't even notice that. But now it's like, okay, Mike, you have a problem. You need to, to kind of slow down and get your relational circuits back on. If you can get to that stage, this is, like a, this is a game changer. This is truly a game changer. So s- simple enemy mode can also be kind of called stupid enemy mode because if you're in simple enemy mode for very long, we can start doing really stupid things. This is when we say things that we wish we hadn't said. This is when we break things because something didn't go right or maybe something happened at work and then I'm working on something at home and it goes wrong and I get, you know, I, I put the, punch the drill through a piece of drywall, which is what I did once, 20 years ago. My, my relational brain was off, not because of what I was doing in the moment, it's because of something that happened earlier in the day. Okay, so we call it stupid anymore because we just do stupid things and don't act like ourselves. It's a good sign, though, to learn from these. They're a gift. When we put the, punch the drill through drywall, that's actually a gift. And it's like, Jesus, okay, you got my attention here. What do you want me to know here about this situation? What is it that's bothering me and help me with this? Um, a lot of times that's when we cuss. We drop an F-bomb when we normally don't do that. Or we go berserk. And... Uh, Enemy mode is very low, low in relational joy. When we're in, in enemy mode, it's almost like our, our joy tank has just sprung a leak and our joy is just going like this. And that's why when we go, we realize we're in enemy mode, we want to get out of it as quickly as possible. And we're going to practice doing that today. But if you stay in it for very long, your joy tank is just draining out onto the sidewalk. Okay? Going down. Um, and a lot of times we go into enemy mode as well if we're just really, really tired. Um, if you ask, answer, ask, answer yes to any of these questions, that's a good sign that you're either in enemy mode or you're on your, on your way there. Question. What's the this and Say that again. What's the and introversion? introversion. Well, introversion more has to do with your energy level. Do people energize you? Do you get, or do you, or do you get worn out by people? Are you a high-energy responder, like you, you respond and feel God in high-energy situations, or do you feel God or respond to God more when you can get alone into the forest or by yourself with a cup of coffee in your, in your office? Um, but introverts and extroverts go, both have their RCs go off and both go into enemy mode, okay? This crack, because it's a brain, it's actually a brain thing. It's like a muscle cramp. Your brain is cramped on you. And it's literally cramped. They, they take brain scans of brains that have gone in with the relational circuits off and gone into enemy mode. There's no blood flow into two areas of the brain. Right? You've lost your attunement circuits. They're down. 
That's why I don't care what you think. I just want to win or I want to punch you in the face or I want to run away or I'm frozen, right? So you can actually see this one physically. It's not like a personality thing. It's a, it's a brain cramp is a good way to talk, talk to it. Any other questions on simple enemy mode, which very quickly becomes stupid enemy mode? Can anybody kind of relate? Because this is a good thing to start telling stories about. Oh, I, my, my relational circuits went off the other day. Raw. And then this is a great thing to talk about in church. These are actually conversations we should be having in church. Who lost, who lost the relational circuits today? Who lost their... In, in, another thing we do is we lose our sense of Jesus' presence. Because the relational circuits that help us sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in us and Jesus' presence, those go off. And Jesus is still with us, but we can't sense it. Because we've cramped. Okay. Make sense? Okay, let's go now to the one that's called predatory enemy mode. This one sounds a little more diabolical, doesn't it? Okay, look at the predatory enemy checklist. It says, and we're following up here. That's predatory, good. So I'm looking, listening, and thinking of any weakness I can find in the other. So the interesting about predatory mode is your relational circuits are not completely off. Your attunement circuits are actually kind of, they're still kind of running. But I'm using these attunement circuits, which what's that do? That helps me figure out what's going on with you. I'm using them for, a, for evil ends. I'm using them so, to win. So this is a little trickier part of relational circuits because they're not completely off. I'm actually using circuits that God designed us to use to love each other to notice weakness in each other, and when I see weakness, I help you, I protect you, I encourage you. In predatory enemy mode, I'm using these, these same detecting circuits that detects weakness, but I'm using that weakness to try to defeat you, to get your job, to take your money, to do something even worse, okay? So we have a checklist for that too, and it's a little bit different than the other checklist. Uh, the second one is I would like to see them, I would like them to lose. So it's really, we, it, the, the brain in predatory enemy mode is really about winning and losing. I'm plotting my escape or covering my moves. So it's really very much of a chess match. I'm making a chess game where I'm going to plot my moves so that I can eventually defeat you. I find my attitude easy to justify that I am right. So it's really hard for me to tell that I'm in predatory enemy mode because I am justified. If you've read the other half of church, church we talk about the importance of recognizing self-justification because self-justification is the language of the enemy. We never self-justify. We don't need to justify. We've been justified. We don't need to self-justify. If I'm justifying myself, I'm really not listening to input. And tracking, here's the next one, tracking their feelings, movements, and plans feels strategic. Again, I've got into a strategic way to try to come out to make them lose. I'm actually, the brain and enemy, predatory enemy actually cares more about making you lose than me winning. We see this in politics all the time. They do things to make the other party lose, but it's actually bad for them too. But they don't care as long as they can make the other party lose. I think both parties do this. We see politicians at the local level doing things like this. It's, it's crazy. And then the last one, I know what will bother them and how I can use it to my advantage. 
So not only am I sensing your weakness, I'm holding in my hip pocket, I'm waiting for just the right time, boom, to play that card, when I know it's gonna hurt you and make you lose. Feels kinda yucky, doesn't it? So, it's actually common to go into predatory enemy mode as well, we all do it. Hopefully in more subtle forms and we recognize it quickly, but we all go into predatory enemy mode as well. Narcissists, however, spend much of their life in predatory enemy mode. This is their standard operating state. This is the way they do life, often. And when I'm in enemy mode, my brain will assume that your brain is in enemy mode as well against me, even though it may, may likely not be. But I can't tell that. My brain will assume you're in enemy mode and you're, you're plotting against me. What, why, did, why did she say that to me? Ooh, I bet she talked to this person. I bet they're, you know how our brain will go into this thing and play this game, right? And we do that. We all do that. Um, my, the brain in predatory enemy mode will very much look at other people with suspicion. And others will seem like enemies, whether they really are or not, and, uh, and we, we have no way of finding out if they are or not. And uh, we have a very much hard time also telling if another person is in predatory enemy mode because they're very good at disguising. Remember the one checklist, I'm plotting my escape and hiding my moves, right? These are the, uh, the car salesmen or people that want to sell you things you don't really want. They're the con artists that want to take your money. They act like your friends, but they are not your friends. They're actually using these circuits created for love and they're using it to take advantage. A brain in any mode, enemy mode cannot tell even when others are trying to help me. So if I'm in predatory enemy mode and you're trying to help me out, I'm assuming you're, ooh, why is he saying that to me? I, I think you're plotting against me. And also a brain in any mode, either of the enemy modes feels very alone in the world. It's me against the world, okay? Because the circuits that help a community, these group identity circuits, they're down. I'm not thinking, what are, it's not running, you know, what are my people do here? How do, what's, what's the, how, what does God's kingdom look like here? I'm, all that stuff is not running, it's gone offline. It's me against the world, okay? If you've answered yes to any of those questions, you are likely in predatory enemy mode. Any questions about predatory enemy mode? Feels kind of yucky, doesn't it? So let's go to something that, that feels quite a bit better. Next slide. So re these are relational circuits on. We might call this compassionate relational mode. So this is the way the kingdom of heaven works. This we see in spades in the life of Jesus. This we see in the teaching of the Bible. This we see in the group identity statement we just said two times this today, okay? When my relational brain is up and it was running well, is running smoothly, here's our checklist. I feel curious and I want to know about what the other is experiencing right now. 
Curiosity is a very important word for our relational brain. When we're curious, that's a good sign. If someone else you think might be in enemy mode, if you can get them into curiosity, use words like might, hmm, what might be happening here? Or with each other as followers of Jesus, hmm, I wonder what God might be doing here. If we tell a person, what is God doing here? That kind of puts pressure on me. But what if I say, what might God be doing there? That's an open-ended, curious question. It's actually a really good question for your brain. Use open-ended, might, curiosity words to help people stay relational. I desire to share what the other person is feeling at this moment. So not only do I know what's going on inside of you from the first checklist, I also want to feel that. If you're sad, I want to feel some of your sadness. If you are angry, I want to meet you there in that anger. If you're feeling ashamed, I want to be with you in your shame and even feel what it, remember what that feels like. So that's what compassion means, that we're, we're feeling each other's pain, right? I feel protective of them. So instead of me being alone in the universe and you're plotting against me, I feel protective of them, meaning it's a we thing. Ooh, they're one of our herd. And they're weak and, they're, and they're, they need help. We need to surround them and help them and love them. It's very, a very protective mode. The other one's predatory, this one's protective. The other person feels like one of my people. Again, that means that group identity part of our brain is up and running and it's asking who are my people and what is it like to act like our people and how do we protect? And one of the things we act is we're, we're protectors, we're not predators. This is identity. We as followers of Jesus are protectors and not predators. If a Christian starts becoming a predator, they've forgotten who they are they're no longer acting like a Christian. They've forgotten their identity. And we need to help them remember who they are. We need to remind them who they are. And then relationships feel more important than the problem. That right there is a good group identity statement. We're a people who, who feel that relationships are always more important than problems. That doesn't mean we ignore or, or deny problems. It just means we always keep relationships is this important in the problem here? Oh, and by the way, we need to talk about this problem, but if, it ever, if the problem ever starts doing like this, we, we call a timeout. Nope, this problem, it's a problem, but it's less important than our relationship. And we see Jesus doing that as well. And the last one is kind of the key one is I feel aware of God's presence. To me, that's the first one I do. If I lose God's presence, I know something's not going well. If I, my sense of God's presence. Now, God has not left me. He promises he will never leave me. He's not stopped loving me. He promises that there's nothing that can separate us from his love. But my brain is in a state where I cannot, it's not real to me right now. I'm alone, okay? So when you get in that state where you feel like you've lost Jesus, that's a good thing to say, oh, I think my relational brain's not doing well because my brain should be picking up the love and the awareness of Jesus' presence, Okay? So part of what I'd like you to do, those of you here, we're not doing this in the groups because this is a little too hard to explain just in a, in a study, a written down study. But if people from home as well, if you can listen to this later, if you weren't here today, part of the homework I would love you to do as your own practice and maybe introduce it to your groups. Even if some of your group, people in your group are not here today, I would, I would introduce this as homework. It's not in the written part, but this is really good. Um, is to become aware of our relational circuits on a daily basis for a month. And just start thinking and talking about, when did my relational brain go wobbly today? 
or whose relational brain went wobbly at work today in other people. Starting to notice this in myself and starting to notice it in other people. This is a very eye-opening experience. We did a training in our basement with Jim Wilder, and one day he said, we, it was a 15 weeks. We met a week, every Thursday night for 15 weeks. And when he introduced some of this, these topics, he said, okay, for this next week, I want you to notice every time you find yourself going into one of these enemy modes, every single time, and write it down. Just a quick note. Take a snapshot of your body, maybe. What did it feel like when you went into that? Or if you saw someone else go into that, what did you observe about their face, their body posture, the way they talked and acted? Start giving your brain some pictures of what this looks like. And when you start doing that, oh my word, I was shocked how often I would go into enemy mode during the week. I had no idea. Just little things and I'd usually pop out pretty quick. But this is a very eye-opening experience. So take a snapshot of your body even. Um, and then try to figure out, are you in the simple enemy mode or have you got, gone into this more complicated predatory enemy mode? Keep these sheets, okay? And Ash has the PDF, she can print out more and you can even send the PDF out if you want. We're not, we don't have this copy written, this is for everybody. So use, use widely, widely for everyone. And then we'll start practicing getting our relational circuits on. We're gonna do that after, we're gonna take a break and then do that after the break. Um, and we all go into these enemy modes throughout the day. The skill we wanna do again is to recognize it and to learn how to practice even getting out. And a lot of times you need a community to do that. Do you remember from our group identity statement? When I stop clothing myself with compassion, kindness and all that stuff, what do I need? Oftentimes we need our community to help us out. Sometimes we can get out by ourselves. Often we need a community, okay? So next slide. So that group identity statement, I didn't just pull that out of the genius of Michael Hendricks because I'm actually not that bright. I pulled it straight out of scripture. Paul writes in Colossians 3.12, a great scripture. Basically this is, this is highlighting what we're doing for the next three weeks. So it says, therefore, as God's chosen people, that's who we are, holy and dearly loved, so we're set aside and special. Holy is very much a special word. That's joy. Dearly loved by God, okay? So as a result of all these things, he says, clothe yourselves then with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now notice, every one of those words I've underlined is relational. None of those exist outside of a relationship. Even the patience one, it's not so much talking about patience like waiting for your pizza to finish cooking or something. It's actually more like a forbearance. It's really a relational patience that you don't pop your top very fast. You, you stay relational. And the three skills that we're teaching you so far, which is joy, quiet, quieting, and then re recognizing your relational brain. And when you're staying relational, and when you lose your relational brain, these are really foundational for discipleship. And I was a pastor of discipleship and never didn't know a, a thing about these things. But they very much explain the word sometimes. 
Why do really good things work sometimes? Well, if our relational brain is up and working, lots of things, almost everything works well as far as, being, as far as producing. It doesn't make us have a perfect life, but it makes it, the, the practices we do are very effective at changing us. When our relational brain is off, when our joy, joy is low, when we can't calm ourselves, then good, a lot of good things don't even work, okay? So now with discipleship, I start with these three things. This is the third. I taught you the importance of joy and how to raise joy and quiet the last time we're together, and this relational circuits is keeping ourselves relational. It's, it's really much keeping ourselves loving like Jesus loves. And so a goal, a goal for discipleship is really to become people who stay relational in our, all circumstances. Okay? We stay relational and even love our enemies. That doesn't mean we let our enemies trample us or do anything they want, but we stay relational. We see Jesus doing this a lot, and he had a lot of enemies. According to Jesus, we are not identified by God as God's children by how much we love each other. Jesus says everyone does that. Atheists do that. Pagans do that. He said we actually stand out as children of God when we love those who persecute us, who mistreat us, who feel like enemies. Okay? This actually gets to our identity as followers of Jesus in this broken world. We are actually identified for, as, for our love for our enemies. That's one of the characteristics of our identity. An interesting thing that loving our enemies, enemies does is it puts a load on our character. Because it's one of the, I think it's the hardest thing that Jesus asks us to do is to love our enemies. And Learning to love our enemies, it kind of puts a load in our character, and our character will often crack, like we'll find what's, where our character is not well developed and can't, can't handle the, the heat, the pressure. And that's a good thing. Even Jim Wilder says, when your character cracks, when you're trying to love a difficult person, thank God for that and ask him, what do you want me to know about this, Jesus? You've just pointed out a weakness. Something I can work on. Jesus just pointed out, okay, this is maybe the way we, this is the next area of your life we can start working on now together. Okay? A lot of times we go into shame when our character doesn't, can't handle a difficult person. And uh, instead of shame, it's very good to say, okay, Jesus, you've, you've gotten my attention. Where do you, what do you want to teach me here about how I can grow? Um, so are there any questions about enemy mode uh, and uh, our relational circuits? Any questions? Okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to take a little break again for, what, 10 minutes? And then we're gonna, I'll take you through an experiential thing of an example of how you can get your relational circuits back on when they go off. And then you can start practicing, practicing things. It's the backside of the sheet. Practicing getting your relational brain back up online and working well um, and looking at, you know, looking like Colossians 3.12 again. Okay. Okay. Have a, have a break and come back in about 10 minutes. I would say at uh, 7.25.
<laughs> You're applying this already. Okay, take your seats. We'll try this out. This isn't gonna take too long and then we're done, but this is good practice. Getting your, your relational circuits back on is something we need to practice. You know, it's very much like learning a new skill of some sort, like an instrument or a language or a sport or something. It's clumsy and hard at first, and sometimes you actually need to have your spouse or your friend point out, like, hey, you know, my wife and I will say to each other, I think your relational circuits are kind of wobbly right now. After a few of those, though, then I can start catching them myself, okay? Or I can go back, even when I didn't catch it in the moment, later at night I can go, ooh, I, yeah, I went non-relational there, didn't I? And I didn't realize it. Those are the kind of things we need to be doing. Those are the kind of conversations we have to have between ourselves and God and also with each other. Okay? Okay, so if you can fire up the slides, go to Restoring Relational Circuits. Okay, go to the back side of your, your printout. So the goal, again, just so we all agree, for restoring our relational circuits when they're off is to perceive the Lord's presence, number one. That's what we want to do always is perceive the Lord's presence. Okay? Tell Jesus about my pain and receive his comfort so that I can get my relational circuits back on, okay? That's kind of like the 10,000 foot view of what we want to have happen. Our strategy is to first quiet my body and then talk to God about my emotions and thoughts, even if I don't perceive God's presence, because my relational circuits may still be off, but we still talk to, to God about our emotions. Um, I invite the Lord to help me perceive his presence and then I tell others how God's peace helped me when we find God's peace. In other words, when my relational circuits go off and I'm able to get them to go back on, my work's not done, I need to tell my people how that, because all of a sudden, I can tell you all how my relational circuits came back on and I've just given your brain some things to put in file. And then you tell me some stories, someone just told me a story in the break. She just gave me a file in my brain. She actually just improved my ability to get my relational circuits back on and connect with Jesus in a difficult situation. These are the stories and things we need to share. How do we get our peace, okay? If, if we're still in it, we haven't got our peace yet, then we wait until, we, until Jesus gives us our peace from it. Okay, so then the steps are, the next slide. That's probably too small, so just look at your worksheets. The steps are, I shalom my body. So for those of you who are here last time, we practice a couple shaloming my body exercises. That means we're reducing, physically reducing our fear and our adrenaline. There's actually exercises we do to do that. One of them we did already, a deep breath. You know, in, you're actually accelerating yourself and ex exhaling, you're actually calming your system and it's, it's draining the cortisol, adrenaline from your system. Okay, it's, it's, it's releasing serotonin, which is the calming um, hormone. So we reduce my fear and adrenaline and activate my stress reduction system. That's the, core, the, uh, the serotonin system. And then physically enter into a quiet state for my body and mind. We do that first, okay? A lot of times our bodies are running with lots of adrenaline. We need to calm the adrenaline 
before we then try to connect with Jesus. If you try to connect to Jesus a lot of times when you still got this thing running, it's almost like trying to have a conversation with loud music blaring in your ear. Even if you both want to have this conversation, I got all this stuff, you know, and that's kind of what our cortisol and our blood, our stress hormones and everything are doing. We want to kind of lower those first and then try to connect with Jesus, okay? And then we, so that's shaloming my body, so I'm kind of calming my body first. Then we shalom my soul, and that's mean I talk to God directly about my emotions and thoughts, even though I may not perceive his presence. And I do not talk to God about the other person or the problem, because that's just going to keep my relational circuits off. So you're setting the, the person, say there's a person causing you, you're setting that issue aside and you're focusing just on your emotions. God, I'm feeling really sad about this. I also feel a little bit ashamed because I feel like they're, they don't like me anymore and don't want to be with me. And I'm also feeling some hopeless despair because I, I don't know how to solve this problem. It's too big for me. Things like that. All I'm talking about is my emotions, okay, with God, but not the problem yet, okay? <clears throat> Number three is I lament with God. So all the emotions I've talked about, and then we funnel all those emotions into sadness, and I feel sad about the things that grieve both God and me in this situation, okay? This really activates our circuits again, the circuits in my brain that help me move from my anger fear high energy state into a sadness state, which is, is very good for making our relational brain come back on. So one thing you can do, it says, for example, I can write down all the things about my current situation that make me feel sad and what makes God sad for me about these things and then tell God, tell God about these things with kind of ex authentic expression, showing your sadness. That's a very, very healthy thing to do in a distressing situation. And finally, grow my appreciation. I tell God what I appreciate about his presence and faithfulness in times past when he's shown himself faithful to me, okay? These four steps, sometimes you don't need all four. I've, I've had my relational circuits go off and I just did some of the quieting stuff and boom, they came back on. Um, a lot of times I'll need, if it's big things, you'll need to do all four of these things. Sometimes you'll do all four and your relational circuits still don't come, up, come back on, and oftentimes that means there's some trauma tied in. And it may require some trauma healing because it's actually tying into some energy from earlier in life that was similar to this thing that's happening to me right now. And so you may need some help, or if you've practiced this enough yourself, you can do it, but you may need some help going back into some memories and getting some healing with Jesus' presence there, Okay. I've had my relational circuits go off for two weeks and I could not get them back on. It's going through a very, very difficult time. Uh, sometimes we need other people. These steps aren't enough. We need other people. Some of the people that can get my relational circuits on, honestly, are my three kids. They're very high joy. I, I'm around them. Boom, I'm back to myself. Someone here earlier before said that um, not only does she have a gratitude list, she also has gratitude pictures on her phone. There's a few pictures I can look at of my kids when they were smaller. If I, if I can gaze and live in that picture for a couple minutes, boom, my brain's back. Okay? So these four steps aren't the only thing we do, but they're good places to start. So what we're going to do now is I would like you to think of a mildly upsetting situation. Okay? Something that's bothering you, but not a 10 out of 10. We're talking like a 3 out of 10. Okay? You always want to practice with something fairly mild the first time you try. Right? 
Just like you don't sit down to the piano for the first time and do some big classical piece that's extremely hard, you start with you know, chopsticks and drills and stuff. So think of a, so let's spend a minute and just ask Jesus to bring to mind a mildly upsetting thing that's in your life right now, okay? Might be with a person or a situation. Ask God to bring that to mind. Go back and relive it just a little bit, just to kind of feel some of the stress or the sadness or the fear or whatever it's bringing up, anger. Okay, we're gonna follow the steps now. Can you feel something in your body a little bit? a little bit of the emotion of this difficult situation. I don't want your relational circuits to go completely off because that would be hard, but we're gonna get, put you in a little bit of a mildly upsetting state. So okay, everybody stand up, we're gonna shalom our bodies together. That's the first step. So we took a deep breath earlier, that's one of the classic shaloming my bodies, but another one I taught last time is you tap underneath your collarbone as you inhale, and then you massage as you exhale. Ooh, I can already feel it. Okay, do it again, tapping on the inhale. And massage as you exhale. One of the other ones is the Mora reflex. It's the baby startle reflex, which is like, <gasps> and then Okay, let's try it again, all together, ready? <gasps> when I'm afraid, I will trust in you, O oh Lord. Let's do it again. <gasps> when I'm afraid, I will trust in you, O oh Lord. Now everybody try to re-yawn. That's another, believe it or not, it's another shaloming my body stress reduction. Try to yawn as best you can. <sighs> And then let's just sit for 30 seconds then and feel the calmness come over our body. Okay, take a seat. Now we're gonna do shaloming. We shalomed our body, okay? Now we're gonna shalom our soul. So start talking to God in prayer about your emotions and your thoughts, even if you can't really feel his presence, or hopefully most of us can. Either way, don't talk about the person, the troubling person or the big problem, but talk just about what emotions you're feeling. I'll give you three minutes. 
Have some time in prayer with God about this. Shaloming your soul. Now move into some lament. What in this situation do you feel sad about and feel that sense that God is sad with you about this? Now let's move into some appreciation with God and just tell God um, that you appreciate his presence and what you appreciate about his presence and how faithful he's been. Maybe sometime to past, thank him for something when he's been faithful to you and um, has shown compassion on you. Okay, how's that feel? It's not bad to do even if your relational brain is working perfectly fine. It still feels good, right? So, if we go to the next slide, you probably can't read that, but this is just saying a good homework assignment for you all and even maybe to spread to your, to your people. And maybe I can even send this out in a PDF to Ash and she can send it to people. But just every day, do a few minutes of quiet. You can just do a breath and sit in silence for a minute if you want. I usually do three minutes. I'll do one of the tapping or something. I'll do three of those and then I'll sit in silence for three minutes. Every day, do that now. And then do some gratitude for five minutes. And then check out your, RC, your relational circuits. We call them RCs sometimes for short. Your relational circuits from the previous day. Whenever this is in the morning from the previous day or if you're doing this in the evening for the day you just finished. And even ask Jesus, you know, were there some times where I stopped, where problems became bigger than people or I just wanted to fix or I just wanted someone to go away? Things like that. You know, Use this list and just, you know, pray through it even and ask Jesus to show you times and maybe even write them down real quick like yeah, yesterday at the supermarket or something, whatever it is, okay? At work last Tuesday. And then share, start sharing it with each other. This very much needs, we need to bring our community part of our brain in, into this view. We need to connect with Jesus one-on-one -on -one through the Holy Spirit and we need to have our people engage the community part of our brain to change this. And start talking to each other. When did you lose Jesus? Who lost, you know, who lost Jesus in the last week? Oh, I did. Man, oh man, when this, my boss said this to me in this meeting, I was gone. Okay, well, how'd you get your, your brain back on? Well, I couldn't that day. But later that night, and then you share what happened. Or you might say, I couldn't. I, st I think they're still off. I need your help. Help me. Um, 
These are the things we do. This is the other half of church. You know, Jim Wilder and I wrote this book, The Other Half of Church, very much about discipleship and transformation practices that have been largely lost to the church for 500 years. We're not advocating getting rid of the things we're already doing. We're adding, putting, let's combine them with the other half, which is the, the right brain-centered discipleship things, along with a lot of the left brain stuff we do, and have them work together really, really well. Okay? Um, I have some books here. If anybody wants another half of church, uh, feel free to come down, and I think they're, they're $15. And, uh, and uh, in your groups, if... Um, if you would like to eventually share a copy, if, if you, Ash can send out a PDF to that, you can also share it with the members of your group if you want to and, and do with it what you want. I didn't put this in the, the actual lessons because this kind of needs someone to explain it first. It's hard to do in a study, okay? So feel free to do with this what you want or, or uh, even make it an extra session if you want, and, but just start practicing it with your people. Um, this has been a very, very eye-opening practice for me. I learned it maybe four years ago, and my wife were like, oh, man, I'm seeing things I never saw before, both in myself and also in the people around me. Okay? Okay, are there any questions about our relational brains and keeping our relational brains up and running? Yes? What steps reduce your amygdala firing off? So your amygdala is really your instantaneous assessment of your environment, if it's good, bad, or scary. It has three opinions, good, bad, or scary. That'll fire off and say something's bad here, something's bad here, and you'll, that's when you feel the cortisol in your body, the stress, the anxiety. When you keep your relational brain on, it means your attuning circuits are on and also you, that community circuit. It's called the right prefrontal cortex. And the right prefrontal cortex then can calm the amygdala. So that's probably more technical than you need, but what basically I'm saying, if you can get your relational circuits back on, it will, it will calm down your amygdala and you'll actually feel the cortisol drain. So we do that again by calming your body, shaloming your body, shaloming your soul, going into lament, and, and, then, and, in, and then going into appreciation and gratitude with God. And some of these other things we do. And you may find some of the, this is very cutting edge stuff. You all may find some things that work well that I've never done and come back and tell me because we're kind of in this together, okay? I'm not like this ex expert and you all have to follow me. We, this is a lab and we're all learning from each other because this is pretty new stuff, okay? Great question though. One of the things I did when I was with the staff is we actually built a brain and then you could actually see how the amygdala works and how it gets calmed. It's really interesting. And maybe we can do that in here sometime. Hmm, that's a great, I hadn't thought about that yet. But maybe, we might even be able to do that in November. That's our last meeting, right, Ash? We might be able to build a brain together. That'd be fun. Anybody want to do that? <laughs> okay, no more questions. We are done for the, oh, question, yeah. The fact that you can say, right now I'm not a super safe person because I'm not doing well, you just became a safe person. The safest people in the world will tell you when they're not safe. Because we're all not safe from time to time, right? The safest person isn't the person that never done, does anything wrong because that would be a lie. But when I can tell you I'm not trustworthy right now, 
because I'm not doing well because of this. All of a sudden, you'll, you, all of a sudden you think, ooh, that person will actually tell me when I shouldn't be trusting with them or when maybe they're not going to be safe. That's a great question. Any other questions? Okay, I've really enjoyed being with you tonight. This is really fun stuff, isn't it? Um, if you have questions, uh, there's my email. Feel free to take a snapshot of that if you want with your phone or write it down. And feel free to send me questions if you have any other stuff. Ask Ash. She knows a lot as well. And she can forward any questions to me maybe if she doesn't know or, or write me directly if you want. And uh, we are getting together then in four weeks from now, I believe. And, and I, we think sometime in November. And I look forward to seeing you then and enjoy your studies. Thank <laughs> you.